Hey there, Professor Chaos. This is Eniash. Hey, Eniash. This is Steven. Steven, Professor Chaos. Is that a uh, general chaos reference? It is, except for he's teaching in this one. Excellent. And he's teaching very chaotically. I could just spend five minutes Googling the alignments, but it's kind of more fun. Just I know about as much about it as he does. I feel like he taught in a very chaotic way. So yeah, Professor Chaos. I feel like it's super appropriate. It felt very much like a sort of natural conversation like someone might have on a podcast that goes all over the place. And eventually you got to be like, oh, yeah, we should get back on topic. Yeah, which is kind of like this one. I like it. Yeah, I liked it, too. Uh, Which is kind of like this this podcast called. uh, What is this podcast? It makes sense. Sorry. No, you're great. It it makes sense. If you understand decision theory, this is the show where you and I sit down to talk about Kelsey Piper and Elias Yudkowsky's glow fic called Project Lawful. We do this every week. You can support us at our Patreon. We appreciate that very much. There is a link in the show notes. We have far less user feedback, user feedback, listener feedback this time than last time. Uh, Shall we hit a few of them? Yeah, that sounds great. The first from MTC says that the TX in Meritzel is pronounced like CH in English. The final syllable therefore sounds like the name of the player character in Portal. Okay, yeah, so Meritzel. We'll try to remember that from now on. I'll do my best. Uh, Shoefish had a... The, this was the week of people um, just disagreeing with me from last week. Ooh, uh, hey, I got some of those from Shoefish too. Shoefish too. We appreciate it. Hell yeah, we do. <laughs> when I was discussing, Keltham said, maybe we shouldn't teach them how to uh, solve diseases really easy because making lots more food to uh, feed those people is hard and that'll just increase rating from chaos countries. Uh, and I kind of agreed with that. Shoefish says... Healthy babies are bad warriors without the minimum additional inputs of time and food. Therefore, if chaotic groups get cures and manage to administer them effectively, it will result in a hunger epidemic, rather than overrunning their neighbors with massive hordes of starving infant barbarians. I think Shoefish makes a good point here. But this is a fantasy book. Putting, you know, magic club in the hands of a baby might empower them to be a raging barbarian. We don't know. If you had that many clubs, you'd already be using them, though, right? Only for ages three and under. Oh, yeah. Well, that's that's the, that's yeah, the constraint on the enchantment. Okay. Only works I, on toddlers. Yeah, I think Shufish's yeah. point is correct, but you know, in a world of magic, it's everything goes. I think Shufish is correct and I was being wrong there. Just wrong is the only way to put it. If you have too many babies and you can't feed them all, you will get starvation because the number of raiders that you have has not increased and won't increase for another 15 years or so, by which time the babies will have starved to death. Hmm. I mean, that could mean that they have to up their efforts for a decade and a half, you know? I see. So maybe the ones that were coasting, slacking on the rating are going to get serious rating now? Or, I mean, like, you know, previously you brought back what you needed or what you could carry in one trip. Now you just take back more. You know, like, you you steal so much that it's not sustainable long term, but you're not worried about long term. You're worried about medium term. Stealing just enough to make it sustainable long term as a government. Raiders are specifically <laughs> Raiders are specifically known for killing people and taking everything that they can carry back. They don't care about the long term. I guess it depends on I'm not an expert raider. I like there was a band of uh in Wheel of Time he gets uh there's a group of people and they when they conquer they take a fifth of the people's stuff. And it's more of like a, a an honor thing than it probably is a necessity thing. But so they don't kill the people so much when they conquer. Uh, they enslave them for a year and a day. The ones that they don't kill. I I think we're. I think you're probably right. Kids need food to grow yeah. up to be good barbarians. Shoefish and I were disagreeing about the. Uh, I think Shoefish said that it seemed like I only spent. It didn't seem like I spent five minutes thinking about the ethics of uh, cow fucking last week. <laughs> and it's true. I spent five whole seconds on it. 
So, oh, did did you spend five minutes thinking about cow fucking over the past intervening week? No, probably less than I did just for the sentence that it took me to type out my reply. But Stephen, uh, what's it going to take for us to get you to fantasize about cow fucking for five minutes? Fantasize, it'll take a lot, but uh, thoughtfully consider. Um, ah, that's what they call it these days. If it comes up, if there's a meaningful reason to come up that it comes up in the story again, I will sit and ponder it for five whole minutes. Okay, all right, Gorky's got this uh, one. I think you're confusing Eliezer for a straw Vulcan. Even if you take Keltham's comment to imply, imply Doth Alani don't take drugs recreationally, which I don't think is correct, it doesn't mean, and instead they sit in the corner and stare at a wall all day. <laughs> Maybe after plucking the low-hanging fruit, we even we could see they saw even higher and more interesting fruit to reach for. Maybe, but you know what makes you see really high and interesting fruit? When you're really mm. high. <laughs> I you know, I don't think you do. I, I've been really high, and it's fun, but mostly what you do is you see the low-hanging fruit, and it looks to be high because you're high. <laughs> yes. The, the, the fruit that is low-hanging is suddenly the most interesting thing in the world. Yes. It is not a productive use of... T- well, it's not... Uh, well, I was going to say... I was going to even constrain it to say it's not an academically productive use of time. I think it's a valuable use of time in, you know, the range of experiences people can have. Yeah, as uh, long as you don't overdo it. Yeah, I wouldn't spend a day a week doing it, but a couple days a year, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Or maybe people in the 11th century had unimaginably more fun than we can possibly, than we possibly can today. And they had so many more problems. Uh, I think that was due to my thing, you know, Dothalon sounds kind of boring because everything is solved and optimized. And uh, he's like, yeah, yeah, isn't it terrible to not have problems you can solve? No fun <laughs> anymore. I think I made a uh, less passionately but similar thing, you know, like, it's nice to solve problems, but it's also really nice to sit at home and enjoy, you know, the works of art that can be created only in a world where there aren't tons of problems, you know? That is, yeah, that's true. But, oh, that reminds me, uh, two-second plug for Guardians of the Galaxy 3. It's sad and it's worth it. It's the best Guardians movie ever. Go see it. Cool. All right. Yeah. And we could not have made that in the 11th century because people were too busy starving and having smallpox. Yeah. If only they, you know, stopped setting cats on fire so much and started, you know, washing their hands, it might have worked. But yeah, oh maybe well. fucking a few less cows. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so Chumich is a it's a I, I don't know if this is actually the user's name because uh, it starts with an X and I'm riffing off of uh, Marichel, but a user whose name might be Chumich says, Ergotha is the neutral evil goddess of disease. So there exists at least one divinity that is against the spread of medicine. Perhaps she is paying Asmodeus to not tell his priest how to make soap. So, uh, yeah, that it, it could just be that gods are fuckers. Wow. That's awesome. Okay. I will keep that in the back of my mind whenever my, my thoughts run to the idea of the gods are fucking idiots. Why aren't they doing X? Mm-hmm. The idea that other gods are paying them and whatever god money they have is, uh, I will, I'll move that to the front of my, like, uh, explanation list. Hmm. I'm looking forward to getting, like, an actual explanation at some point, like, what that actually means, what the currency is and stuff, but, uh, yeah. it, it could just be souls, but it seems like, you know, if you spend your whole life praying to Asmodeus and you don't get to go to the terrible hell where you're tortured into a different person, like, then what's even the point if you can just trade your soul away, you know? Yeah. And, I mean... The gods want people to die eventually. We we know that the ultimate thing they're after is souls. So whatever maximizes the amount of humans that die in a decade is probably what they're after. And maybe that is having soap. Maybe it is not having soap. I feel like they have goals other than, uh, what am I trying to say? Other than souls. Because... I'm sure they probably do, but I think that's what mostly what they want out of mortals, right? Maybe. But like the thing is, aren't uh, like... 
the souls are doing something to some end, right? It's like people don't want money. They want money to get stuff. Yeah. I don't know what the heck gods want though. Yeah, me either. Maybe yeah, we'll find but, out. But you're right. I guess in the, in the media, in the, like it's operationally sufficient to say they want souls. Yeah. But if we can find some better way to get them what they want, then, you know, problem Ooh. solved. Maybe that is what the purpose of the story will be eventually. Could be. Yeah. If you can't kill uh, them, bargain with them. Exactly. Which actually is probably right on brand for this story. <laughs> uh, and finally, since we said that other things written in the uh, universe that happened before Plane Crash are fair game as long as they're within spoiler tags, uh, there was a quick explanation on how cars work in Dothalon. Uh, did you want to hear that? Yeah, I'm curious. I, yeah, and I doubt it's going to come up again later in the story. Yeah, what's the Cliff Notes version? So uh, the first thing to note is that apparently the um, Bay Area Regional Transit can carry you uh, about eight miles in about 11 minutes or so, which is really impressive. Uh, I think they, and that's, you know, including several stops. So Dothalon is not too far off from that if all they have is the subway system. Uh, But more specifically, what they actually have within the cities is that there is no vehicular traffic allowed on the surface. That is entirely for people to be able to walk places and the way they don't need to be parking lots so everything could be far more dense and it's just it's the beautiful walkable city everybody loves and uh and that allows them to bump into their friends and people as well uh all the faster long scale transit is underneath underground uh similar to subways except instead of having large trains that have to stop frequently they have automated car systems where basically you get in a car it shoots you in you know, one or two straight lines, exactly where you need to be going down these tunnels. And um, since everything's automated, you don't hit other cars and you don't need to make stops. And there's not really much in the way of traffic. It all actually, the more I thought about it, the more it seems reasonable. Nice. I think digging out that many tunnels might be expensive, but if there's one thing we know about Dothalon, that's that they are rich and probably far more efficient at doing anything (laughs) uh, with their government than we are. Well, and once you've solved all your other problems, then... You know, you might as well well start digging holes. Yeah, exactly. That's also close to what I'd said. So I'm going to give myself a point for that. Yes. Although I think the underground part makes all the difference because you really need that. The whole humans and cars not being in the same plane of existence is a big deal for traffic. Well, I just said something about like, whatever, sensible sidewalks or something, which is really the same. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, it's, it's a you're right. It's importantly different, but for the purposes of me being right, it's the same. (laughs) i will accept that (laughs) let's talk about you being right some more as we get into the content yeah let's see we've got it said that the very smart smart people of dothalon have predicted how this could otherwise make people weak and unable to handle mental adversity which is why adults play lots of confusing pranks on children in case they someday end up in galarian or something it is sure why kelpham is hitting the ground running instead of curling up in a ball whining about structural uncertainty what is it that this that we're talking about let's see breaking the universe into tiny parts and understanding them. Okay. Like the, the basics of reductionism and being able to understand little bits of the universe at a time and being able to cohere those parts. Like basically the essence of how to get knowledge. If he was just thrown here and he was just some random muggle, he would have been lost and confused and un- unsure what to do. Why would make it that make people weak? If they didn't know about the nature of reality? Let's see. Most adult Dothalani are running around thinking that they know the universe's age and the name and qualities of its tiny parts the very smart people have predicted how this could otherwise make people weak and unable to handle mental adversity, 
why would that make people weak if they are going around thinking they know the ages you know the age of the universe and how all the tiny parts work i guess you want to keep them on their toes yeah maybe because they aren't met with a lot of confusing weird things in their normal lives yeah i think that's i think that's exactly it you want and that that explains too why he was trying to confuse them last time well part of it the other part is that he wasn't getting a reaction the idea that if you're walking around and you're confident you understand it all then the second you don't you're gonna have no idea how to actually correct that right so you 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 trick kids a lot make them think that they know what's going on and you know you do it in a way that's safe and friendly for them but then they are better equipped to solve problems yeah i think this makes more sense than breaking their legs for getting wrong question answer wrong question on a test certainly sounds like they are doing a much better job than chelyax is yeah it's a pretty low bar to hurdle over but they're jumping over it with ease Uh, yeah he explained last week but why he was being confusing and we talked about last week how much less i hated the math lecture given that he was deliberately trying to be confusing Mm -hmm. so uh he doesn't do that this time and it's much better lecture Yeah, yeah i enjoyed it quite a bit more too Agreed. It was not hard work. <laughs> right. <laughs> Which <laughs> I guess I feel bad saying that because you're never supposed to say, you know, oh, I didn't like it because it was hard work. But sometimes I don't want to do hard work when I'm doing entertainment, right? Right. When you're reading for fun, I've got textbooks that I haven't read sitting in my house that I bought with the ambition of eventually reading. I could read those if I wanted to read something hard. Yeah, I guess it's all about expectations because there are some things I do for fun that are a lot of hard work. It's just that I expect to have to do hard work as I go into into them, you know? Yeah, sitting down reading fantasy isn't one of those things. Well, <laughs> maybe it should be. And I know there was spoilers at before we started reading that said that there's going to be this harder lecture stuff. And we even got spoilers just before the chapter saying, content warning, math. But nonetheless, I, I failed to completely brace myself. Now we know what to anticipate from that warning. Yes. You think punishment system or reward system would be better uh, incentive for us? Definitely reward system. I would like M and M's. M and M's are money, please. Not a not slaps to the face. Yeah, uh, you ask that because Keltham points out that in a punishment based system, you'd have to worry about people thinking safer or not thinking about people taking safer and less challenging lessons and trying not to give outward signs that their potential was high enough to do better. It kind of felt like I was reading about the real world when he said that, and not just about schools which disincentivize people from ever doing good there's a whole lot more to say and unpack about that and we've done that in various episodes of the basin conspiracy so i'm not going to go into further detail here but like i was wondering is it is it just me or does this extend to a lot more to the rest of society now where there's like a lot of destroy the wealth rhetoric that is uh going on causing people to try to either just not bother achieving things of great value or if they do trying to hide it I think once you're past the stages of life, like school, where excelling or challenging the, the authority, you know, if you, if you call your teacher out on being wrong or something in school, you typically get punished, even if they are wrong. I think once you get past all that stuff, I don't think there's anything, despite people on Twitter complaining about eat the rich or whatever, I think people are still succeeding in doing awesome stuff. Unless there are examples of people saying, well, I was going to make a fortune developing some new medicine or whatever, but I don't want people to be mad at me. Unless people have said stuff like that and I didn't catch the news. I don't think this carries over to adult real life, but it might be a bad lesson ingrained from childhood. Yeah, I don't know. I think I think it does carry over to real life. I think that there are a fair number of people who just don't bother trying to strive hard and take risks and do good things because... If you fail, that sucks. You wasted a lot of time and effort and didn't get much reward. And if you succeed, now you got to deal with all the people saying that the fact that you exist is a failure of government policy. 
and uh, you're a horrible piece of shit. I don't... And they just don't want that. I mean, I can't be sure, obviously, but I don't suspect that that's deterring a lot of would-be billionaires or even multimillionaires, right? I, I think it would deter the people who deeply care about what their neighbors think of them. And the people who aren't deterred are the people who, you know, are more... More along the lines of Elon Musk, where they're like, lol, I don't give a fuck what you think about me. I'm just out here doing good shit. And uh, if you hate me, you can hate me. And But a lot of people hate being hated. I suppose. I, I guess I just, I can't, I can't seriously imagine a person, it would be like, in, the, in this hypothetical, somebody would turn down a $10 million check because they wouldn't want their neighbors to dislike them. Yeah, I don't think they would just turn down a $10 million check, but they might be like, you know what? I'm just going to go into accounting. I, I don't want to be an evil person. Which is what would happen if I were to make a lot of money somehow. Hmm. I feel like you can offset all the evilness of having money by giving away money. Apparently not. Billionaire philanthropy is just as evil, I have heard. Yeah, according to morons on Twitter. I don't think this is... I mean, to the extent that Twitter is tangential to real life, you're right. But I don't don't know if this is actually a real thing. That's a good point. I mean, then again, I'm... My being mostly, like, disconnected from any social media stuff, I think, might keep me in the dark about the actual influence and reality of it. Like just because it's, it's more on Twitter doesn't mean it doesn't mean it's not real. It just means that I categorize them as morons on Twitter and don't take them seriously, seriously or not. They, uh, or whether I take them seriously or not, they mean business. So to make it personal, how do you feel about landlords? Uh, it depends. Some landlords suck. Some are nice. Okay. Yeah. I don't I... have a generic opinion, but some people do. Some people think that the idea of owning property that you don't live in or need is uh some people find that abhorrent yeah i i own more townhomes than i live in and i rent out the excess ones i always feel weird telling people that that is where the majority of my spending money comes from one of my renters even when she moved out she was like i i love you you're the best landlord i ever had and i don't want to sound prejudiced or anything but you know everybody hates landlords and they usually suck and everything and i'm like yeah i know that's that's why i feel weird about this and i don't talk about it that often well, I've seen you, you know, leave to go handle problems same day of whatever it is and accommodate people during the plague. Like there's a spectrum of, of behavior, but you're right. People, some people lump it all into one bucket. And frankly, I say, screw those people. But I, I realize that's easier for me to say when they're not telling me I suck. So, well, okay. Maybe, maybe I am too online and I should go touch grass. <laughs> well, you might be onto something. I was almost in a situation where I was going to rent my previous townhome, but it just turned out to be it have taken years to recover from, to, to get anything back from that. Um, yes, it always does. Well, it but, is an investment. I, but I mean, more years, I think, than you're typically used to. Because I, I just I, signed on a place for, like, when we signed for this place, it was a 3.25 interest rate. And when we were closing, it was six. Or our mortgage went up like 800 and change, yeah. um, which would not have, I would have been making much, much less than that in profits from the, for renting the townhome. And property right. values were going down despite rent rates going up. So it was just like, this is not, this is not going to pay off like in a few short years. It's going to take a long time to, to recover from this. That combined with the fact that I'm neurotic, wondering whether they're destroying my stuff and didn't want to deal with it. So, I mean, that's the hard part. And you know what? This is not a podcast about renting. So no. let's move on. <laughs> no. You have to do the hard stuff because you're, you, you can do hard stuff. I don't because I can't. So, <laughs> <laughs> all right. Fair enough. <laughs> Um, uh, I liked that, uh, he, he had a caveat in there about the punishment based system. People might take safer, less challenging lessons and try not to give outward signs that their potential was high enough to do better. And then he says, uh, I think he's like paraphrasing what he's talking about. There was an annoying lack of, uh, quotation marks in this episode or in this reading to just like say when people are talking, 
Um, mm. But uh, then he goes on to say, to emphasize that he's going to continue throwing confusing questions. To, oh, I'm sorry. Hold on. Then he says, maybe he's totally off base and worrying about that. And Chelyax has already solved it somehow. And I was surprised at the unchar- uncharacteristic humility here because this is one where I think he's obviously right. Hmm. Like, I, I, the, you, can, you can look around the world and watch how they're doing poorly and say whatever they're doing must not be the best, right? Yeah, yeah. So it, it might be that this is somehow the best way for them to learn, but we can kind of sort of doubt it, just a priori given that they're humans, right? Um, yeah, I don't know. If if something was so bizarrely different from my society, and also they had ways to make it so that injury is, you know, a fleeting thing, maybe, you know, I, I could, I, I see his point. I'm like, oh, actually, maybe this works really well in their society, possibly. Maybe they found some way around it, because I've only been thinking about this for about one and a half minutes, and they probably had many people thinking about it for years, so they found a, the way around this uh, avoidance thing. Maybe, but there are so many other other places where he's just prepared to jump in and say they have it all ass backwards without any sort of like, well, maybe I'm missing something kind of caveats, right? Uh, yeah, that's true. I, I figured this is one where he doesn't need the caveat and he can save those for other places. <laughs> but, um, you know, I think this is also the one where he has the most. Hmm. No. Yeah, I guess. I don't know. I don't know why he was more. I, I'm trying to think like other times it was more basic um econ stuff that they were obviously wrong about but you never know you know what gods or magic fuckery might do to affect things maybe he just was less familiar with how much fuckery magic could do right i mean yeah like when, you, you think increasing crop, crop yields sounds like an obvious thing people should be trying to do unless any of these dozen awesome you know failure modes right yeah he's like well wait a minute there's there's fey and dragons that might get mad at you for making better crops what's going on here i'm gonna run past all the answers they give because they were like those 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 are you know legit but those were like the least fun ones so Mm -hmm. we're we're outright hilarious um Mm -hmm. then he says he's going to continue to emphasize uh or he's he's going to emphasize that he's going to continue throwing confusing questions at them and that there's not this is not meant to be a threatening overly difficult problem whose painful failures they need to avoid it's meant to be an overly difficult problem that they can safely hang out around and safely fail on without that hurting and honestly, other than the deliberately confusing part, because at some point, like it's too confusing and, and it lost me. But I guess if I was used to that style of teaching, it would have been better. But I think he's a really good teacher. Even through this, he checks in on the class. He has them generate examples of hypotheses and stuff. Yeah, he tries to incorporate uh, game playing, which is just the way humans naturally learn. Yeah. He's better than most teachers I've seen in real life. Totally. Yeah, that's that's my bar. I don't have like, if I compare him to the best teachers I've ever had, he's good. He's better than most of my teachers. Yeah. Well, uh, how did they, we get on the smart people having fewer children thing? I'm having a hard time segueing. That's that's part of the problem with uh, this reading in particular, but sometimes the story, they just jump from thing to thing. Um, okay. I think he, well, he, he's ma- talking about, like, do you guys understand anything about in- inheritance? You know, I told you about the magic string thingies, not magic, but the little string thingies that make people people. Do wizards have more kids? Do they live longer? What's up with all that? So. And then that brought up to the fact that he goes, yeah, I guess uh, if smart people have fewer children because they have better access to contraception and nobody is doing anything about that, that could be a problem. This is frankly something Keltham has never even imagined as a catastrophic failure mode of a civilization, <laughs> <laughs> which I don't know, feels like Elias are just making fun of us at this point, <laughs> seeing as we are now having a possible failure mode of civilization due to exactly that thing. Yeah. I jokingly put that it's a good thing that's not a problem on Earth. That said, it's not. 
this phenomenon of of higher intelligence while out people having fewer kids that's fairly new right think it's been happening in the past three three four decades yeah so i mean it's it's enough to where maybe it's it's putting a dent in stuff but i don't think i think society is going to uh society as we know it will end before this before this becomes a civilization ending problem specifically because we're expecting ai to drastically alter all of society within 10 years or so yeah yeah okay just want just wanted to make sure we were on that yeah no i i agree i guess this won't be what the, kills us <laughs> <laughs> right. i i suppose this is something to solve once we have solved the ai thing and uh possibly might not need to solve it if solving the AI thing also solves aging because we probably don't want people to be having tons of kids anyway yeah okay cool so he is continuing to teach them the ways of datalani teaching and he points out that you will not always know the answer when real life asks you a question so you must gather your scattered and inadequate thoughts and manage to say out loud your first guess and I'd like, I just wanted to point this, pull this out because I think this is an important foundational doctrine of Bayesian rationality. And also one of the reasons that's it, it's that it's important in our culture to not attack people for saying things that are wrong, um, especially out loud, because everyone is allowed to be wrong and you can't give your, you know, first guess to start interrogating it, gathering your thoughts, seeing what how reality is and what uh, this implies if you are too goddamn scared to even say what your first guess might be. Um, so yeah, I, I like that about us. Totally agree. I, I like that. I mean, there's, I think you're, I don't know if you're completing them or if I am in my head and hearing you, but there's, there's two things that our culture does by ours. I mean, the, the rationalist community and it's that if someone's wrong on a, on a guess or a hypothesis or something, they don't get shit for it. They get engaged and they, they uh, will either change people's minds or have their minds changed. Um, mm-hmm. th- then there's, there's another norm of, you know, bad argument gets counter argument, never gets a bullet. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that this is really only referring to the first thing. Uh, okay. You know, that said, I, you know, I like the second thing a lot, but there's difference. There's a difference between having a wrong guess and, just standing up and saying mean wrong things, even though you know it's wrong, right? That um, is true. Yes. So I think he's he's specifically defending the uh, it's okay to make a wrong guess mindset, not necessarily like defend you know uh, suggesting that people jump into the town square and start yelling stuff that we should kill all the orcs for whatever reason, right? <laughs> I mean, aside from people intentionally trolling, I don't think there's many cases of people saying things they know are wrong to hurt people. I don't know. I just, I saw one of those billboards of like, you know, what's clearly a human baby, like as, and the thing was like six week fetus or something. Oh, those people have okay. to know they're lying, right? Yeah. That that's not what a fetus looks like at six weeks. Right. But are they doing it to hurt people? I think they know that they're lying and they think they're doing it to save people. So yeah. maybe it's a little different. Anyway, they should not be lying at all. Agreed. That's my thing. Just in general, man, the truth can defend itself. You don't need to lie to defend the truth. Agreed. Yeah. All right. Well, Carissa points out that a country with no adventurers is dead by a thousand cuts, no matter how many babies they're having. (laughs) (laughs) It sounds like they are living in a Buffy environment. And they need that Buffy buffer. 
Yeah. <laughs> I like it. Cool. Yay. <laughs> Wordplay. <laughs> they're, so they're talking at this point about the ratios of men to women in a sexually reproducing species and why they have fallen out at 50-50 and not some other thing. One of the students suggests, possibly you need some scarcity of women to motivate the men to be adventurers. And if they had girls either way, they'd all just lounge around doing nothing. Which, <laughs> I mean, first of all, the fair enough, men are are motivated by wanting to get laid. Um, my my first thought upon reading this was like, what what the hell motivates women? Damn it, <laughs> because because I know what motivates men. So, to, uh, one meta thought and then one response thought. One is that this is one of the exchanges where there aren't quotation marks. It's not clear if this is stuff the audience is thinking or saying. And then Keltham has two paragraphs of parenthetical thoughts and then starts talking like he heard their thoughts. Uh, but other times they say stuff like the, like the next time it's the diamond logo, they're talking with quotes and everything. So it, okay. that, that was just something that irked me. I don't know if it's, there's probably a rhyme and reason to it that I'm missing, but you know, maybe it's just cause like they want to paraphrase what they're saying without actually having just to say said Mextrell or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Um, or let me see what was her name. Uh, Marichelle. Um, but you know, you're right. I assume that, uh, they, these things were things that were said out loud, but you're right. There are no quotes around those. Well, and then people respond to them like they were said out loud. So I think it is just one of those, like, you know, here's the stuff they talked about, but I'm not going to write dialogue, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but it's so close to dialogue that if they, if, if they'd just thrown quotes around it, it would have actually worked. Um, yeah. but I don't know. Uh, maybe they, maybe, um, I think Kelsey writes, uh, I'm not going to try and read the, her username, um, but she writes the the diamond logo. So maybe she just didn't feel like writing, you know, people's names after all those sentences hmm. said another. Now, you know what? That's two words. I I, I think that it could have been clear, but it could have um, been done. So yeah, there, there's been a number of times when they just said, you know, said a student or something. Yeah. So what motivates women? Uh, I'm going to quote the great 21st century virtuist philosopher Ted Lasso and say, I have no idea. Little girls are mysterious. <laughs> well, on that topic, I actually, at first it was a toss-off comment. What the hell motivates women? I don't know, you know? Then I was like, I'm actually going to sit down and think about this for five minutes. And upon further reflection, you know, men are actually motivated by many things. And sex is just a big one. And women are actually motivated by sex too. Just, you know, mostly to a lesser degree. Uh, to, to some percentage of women actually do like sex just as much as young men do. And I've met them. And uh, they're great. I'm... I don't know. Is it is it sexist to acknowledge that young men are strongly motivated by sex and and to a decent men old to to a decent extent like older men as well, right? It's just it's an ever present motivation. And I mean, if it's is ahead. it is it uh, speciesist to say that humans love delicious food? Um, I feel like you're describing something that's so biologically based that it can't be offensive to say. Well, again, I say that up upping on Twitter. For all I know. The truth is is heretical, um, but in real life, no, I think that's fine. Um, I will say that I didn't spend time pondering this after I read your thing about you know I just put the Ted Lasso quote because I didn't trust that I could get very far on what motivates women just thinking by myself. I probably need mm -hmm. to consult somebody, probably a woman mm -hmm. for for some insight, and mm -hmm. didn't have one to to consult to uh, put a real comment here between the time that I saw your note and we started recording. So. Sure, but you've met both men and women, and I, I would assume you've noticed, much like me, that they are both motivated by numerous things, and both by sex, but often to different degrees. 
Yeah, I mean, I could, uh, I could infer, right? Um, and I like, I have done that. Like, I know it makes you know. I'd like to think I know what makes my wife happy and stuff, right? Um, mm-hmm. And what motivates her. But uh, it's it's the sort of thing where mm, I don't know. I didn't put in adequate effort, so I'm I'm eager to see the rest of your thoughts. Well, my f- one continuing thought was that given the fact that young men are generally far more sex motivated than uh, women are, is it exploitative to use that biological weak, po- weak point to get men to do things, especially dangerous things like adventuring? <laughs> Be- because that feels a lot like getting a meth junkie to go adventuring for you to get some meth. Or even just the promise of meth. Yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. I, I think that there's you know, many oh, a dead adventurer laying in a cave somewhere that was, you know, promised uh, a bounty of booty that was never actually going to be delivered, right? Right. Um, so, yeah, I mean, is it exploitative? Yes. Uh, is that necessarily wrong? I'm not sure. It, okay. It's certainly not in uh, Cheliacs where they're all super evil, so. That's a good point. In fact, if, but- if, they, if they have a word for wrong, it would be for not using the exploitations that you can, right? <laughs> but in real life on earth people just you know accept that men are motivated by sex and you know this is fine this is probably a good thing even it'll keep them joining the labor force or doing good things for society sometimes doing bad things for society but you know it's weird you know maybe i'm just like uh well i was gonna say i'm flattering myself but i never actually got this so like what I've, i feel like what i've wanted more than sex most of my life is like the esteem of my peers okay right uh i want like um respect and uh i guess what do you call it like clout you know what i mean um yeah yeah but you know it and maybe the end of that is like well because then i could get more sex or something but it never really felt like that was the end of the rainbow for me um okay but i you know certainly probably as a as a uh younger man that was at the forefront of my mind no i think even as a teenager like I wanted people to like me and I was terrified that they didn't. And I was pretty sure they didn't. And I feel like, you know, if I got to pick between like maintaining that level of uncertainty that, you know, about people's respects towards me or whatever, and having sex, I think I would have rather chosen the respect. Okay. But that's me thinking about younger me. I'm probably wrong. Younger me is probably an idiot. So <laughs> currently is an idiot. So it's, it makes sense that I grew from a, from a, I like to think I'm less of an idiot than I was, but yeah. Yeah. I would like to think so too. And honestly, I, I assume you are like, I guess I didn't know you in your teens, but you seem like a pretty, um, pretty well put together dude nowadays. Thanks, man. You know, I've been in Denver almost like 10 years. So we've known each other for a long time. Jesus. Damn. Okay. Then went by fast, didn't it? It really did. Holy crap. (laughs) Well, I, I did have a further thought about this because like I said, I've met some young women who like sex just as much as young men do, but they don't feel like they're sex motivated to the same extent that like young men are. And I think maybe that's because they can generally just get sex without having to resort to the extreme measures that young men have to resort to. So, you know, maybe if young men weren't motivated by women's scarcity, they'd be a lot like those women are, which is, you know, to say pretty normal. Uh, I also got to thinking about like, there are young men who live in environments where there isn't sex scarcity and those are called gay men. And I, I'm curious now as to whether gay men do less stupid shit because they aren't motivated by, by sex scarcity. And, um, maybe there'd be less gay adventurers. That's a really good empirical question when, when we, we can sub out adventurer for something on, on earth, but, 
Um, yeah. You know, are they doing dumb, you know, stu- you know, dangerous stuff to impress uh, potential sex partners when, you know, Grinder is just two clicks away on your phone? I sort yeah. of doubt it. But this this is definitely empirical, and we can we can ask. That's awesome. Um, yeah. When you had said that, uh, so if young men weren't mot- weren't motivated by scarcity, they'd be just like women, which is to say normal. What do you mean by normal? <laughs> uh, damn it! I was trying to leave that out of the podcast. When yeah, we can skip it. By- by by normal, I mean um, my underlying misandry is uh, is seeping out there because that that note was written a little bit later at night, and you know when our men when our guards men are hormone fueled fuck monsters, and uh, women are normal. So yeah, well, I'll I'll just say however people are is normal, right? Okay, fair. And, but but I feel you. It's hard not to internalize you know some of that stuff. But no. I, I I'll do my part to keep keep your uh any any of your prejudices in check even if it's only against groups that you're in uh, okay the the other like what you mentioned about uh women who want lots of sex don't seem sex motivated um it, it's like the thing in every rom-com or whatever where you know the the pretty protagonist is like you know trying to get a date on tinder and can't <laughs> and it's like they're getting no matches yeah and it's like this is the least believable part of the thing and, yeah. you know, it, you just moved across the country and happened to bump into your, you know, your childhood crush at the, you know, post office or something, right? Like, mm-hmm. I can grant that, but I can't grant that you're not getting Tinder matches. Exactly. And, uh, it, you know, if, if and then, like, it seems like, again, in every other comedy like that, where it's like, oh, I just, you know, I haven't had sex in weeks or months or whatever, and it's just, this sucks. And it's like, you can just walk into a bar and just yell mm-hmm. who wants sex, and you can be having sex in 90 seconds. Right. Right. And I realize yeah. there's like a physical security risk, but bring bring a friend, right? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, th- this is this. If if that's actually all they wanted, then that that would be that would be a real problem. Um, right. The, the real and, problem is having sex with someone they want to have sex with. Right. And if, if you don't care who you're having sex with, then you know you can just meet somebody whose name you never know on an app, and you know, hook up, boom, you know, be home in 15 minutes, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I think that the what was the, there was another, I forget who, uh, it, it was some like actual scholar that people that writes books that, like on, I can't remember, you know, one of the, whatever public academics, but it was along the lines of like, you know, you can tell that there's a difference between there aren't because there aren't lesbian bathhouses. Right. So like they're, they're just, there actually is just a difference in, in their, their approach to this aspect of life. So, um, yeah. you know, but not, you know, there's not one like that's when you said normal, I'm not gonna say one's better than the other. It's just it seems like there are people who do it differently. Mm-hmm. Speaking of doing it, I, uh, Keltham is talking about uh, um, <laughs> uh, if you had, you know, a ratio of 10 to 1 or whatever, um, the, the species could get along fine with each male having to do 10 times as much work of fertilizing women. It doesn't take that long. Well, if you're doing it right, it takes longer, but not so long that a male wouldn't fertilize another female that couldn't fertilize another female the next day. Yeah. So I had to give him the, the finger guns for that one. <laughs> nice. Doesn't take that long. Well, it takes long if you're doing it right. Yeah. But but you have a cool down period over you sleep on it and then you're ready to go again. Sure. But you know, if you're if you're just trying to maximize output, you can be in and out in ninety seconds, you know? <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> hey, I suppose you could, yes. The, the this reading sets up for one more joke like that, so you know, brace yourself for later. Um, awesome. All right, so this is where he's he's talking about DNA and stuff, and uh the like I guess yeah. At a high level, the, the the entire reading is about mainly examples involving um, evolution, 
and then an, a great analogy with locks. Um, mm. But using that, like to analogously think about, uh, well, just a problem, how to solve problems and, you know, resolve confusion um, and how to think of good ideas, but also the, the danger that comes with uh, increased power. Right. Uh, yeah. But I liked this line. He says, remember some of the things I told you earlier about tiny spirals inside people. Remember those hidden orders that are real and not just stories. Um, that last sentence that the, those hidden orders are real and not just stories. Like, I don't know if it's just me, but there's this mental switch that flips when I remind myself of that sort of thing. Like, you know, I, I know the moon is real and it's however far it is away. I forget. Um, mm. And I can look at it most nights. Uh, it, but that's just like a fact in my brain. There's there's this thing that feels different when I remember that it's actually a place where, you know, I could in theory go and pick up the dirt, you know? Yeah. And so it's it's there's this thing, you know, my the, the facts in my brain don't feel like reality but he's, mm-hmm. he's saying look try to try to merge those things because they that's you know your your map of the territory is the best you have to go off of so don't let those things be separate that's a really good point when i when i went to the uh smithsonian air and space and saw like an actual rock that they'd taken from the moon and brought back i don't know like i always knew they'd done that but just seeing like an actual rock like a thing you could pick up and chuck at somebody if it wasn't underneath <laughs> plastic i was like huh it it felt different i bet i've never seen a moon rock i've seen meteorites um but i i want to see a moon rock now yeah i mean it's you know i saw bill and i give a talk once and he was it was something about the atmosphere and he the next slide is a picture of the earth and he's like well, this is the earth well this this is a picture of the earth Um, as if anyone was confused but like it's it's easy enough to like think about you know the atmosphere and ozone and uh co2 levels being just you know answers on a multiple choice test Mm -hmm. but there it's an it's actually reality right Mm -hmm. i don't know having having that switch flipped i try i'm trying to keep that on more often than i than it because usually it takes effort but i like it. yeah it's a good switch yeah uh okay we have another example of Keltham being very charitable. Uh, he says the afterlife thing is obviously going to lead to different local mores about death. Is it mores or mores? I think it's mores, right? Mores Mo- are the eels. Mores. Is it mores? That's how I've always heard it. Um, okay. But you're right. There's also some sea animal like that, I think. Mm, yeah. They always called it mores when I was in school, but maybe my teachers All were right. idiots. It's going. To, I'm, I'm going to go with your teachers on this one. It's going to lead to different local mores about death. Just as the existence of healing magic has led to different local mores about pain, killing babies here does not mean the same thing that killing or cryosuspending babies in would in Dathalon. Uh, because, yeah, they're talking about killing babies if you are inconvenienced by them or something. And he's got to be like, oh, right, 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 right. Okay, yes. Killing here doesn't mean the same thing. It's more like sending someone to Australia, right? <laughs> and I... It's neat that he has the ability to just reframe that and be like, yeah, okay, no, right. It's a different thing here. It's probably fine. Obviously, they can't just be that evil, right? Uh, which is <laughs> is neat. <laughs> I mean, it's going to be great when he when he does realize that they are, in fact, just that evil. Um, yeah. But, yeah, I don't know if this was him being considerate of the facts. Not, I, I don't know if it was him just being humble. Him being humble would be like expressing that he doesn't understand or that maybe he doesn't have the full picture or something, right? Which he does a okay, few times, yeah. but this this is just him, you know, saying, "Oh yeah, the math here is different. I got to keep that in mind." Um, yeah, yeah. But I did check; it is more A's. Uh, okay, just because it was driving me nuts. 
So we're going back to talking about how how genes interplay, why we get the sex ratio that we do have. He says, the bouncing point between competing genes do not settle at the place that is good for groups having more children. It settles in the places that are advantageous for individuals having more children. And then everything else you see inside a human should settle in a similar kind of place, or it won't be stable against the pressure from mutated alternatives. That is why you want to prosper for yourself instead of being full of unselfish desire to see the whole country prosper. Uh, He is saying this also in regards to the fact that he doesn't want to just impregnate people willy-nilly without knowing that his kids are going to have some kind of decent life. And he keeps saying that, I know that is evil of me, that I care about my kids. I liked having him spell out exactly what he means there, the difference between good and evil for him, because good is just doing what's best for society. And what's best for their society is for them to have 144 Keltham kids, regardless of how their lives are. And the fact that he selfishly cares about his kids' quality of life is, in his opinion, evil, because he cares about himself and his kids more than he cares about the greater society, which I like. That was a cool way to make that distinction. And I think we would disagree, but seems entirely in line with Keltham and Dothalon's morality. Certainly the way that um, Carissa's framed how their society works so far, like they would call that evil, right? Um, I'm, I mean, he would call it evil, which is, I think, the important part. I I don't know. For me, I, you're, I think you're right. He would. But I, you're right. We would disagree because I, I don't want to call any strategy that loses the good one, right? Um, it, if you were in a society full of, of good people with a capital G, then yeah, being um, altruistic and you know, wanting everyone else to prosper, uh, and whatever, giving away time and money, knowing that it'll be given back if you need it. Like that, that's actually stable, right? right. Until, so until some, sa- until some asshole walks in and starts taking stuff. Well, yeah, that's, that asshole is evil. That's that. I mean, if everyone follows the good strategy, then it doesn't fail. It is successful. Right. I guess what I'm just saying is like, I, I like that equilibrium or I like that more. And I, I guess what I'm saying is that the, the evil definition here of wanting to see yourself prosper instead of being and full see of your children. Yeah. Yeah. Which is part of yourself, you know? Okay. Yeah. You're, you're happy seeing it. it you want your children to prosper because it makes you happy. And like, yeah. y- you would actually sacrifice your happiness for your own kids, but that's, you know, that's biology and stuff too. Right. But I just mean like, mm-hmm. it's, I don't know that there's also a nice place in the middle where you get to enjoy a uh, Starbucks or whatever, but you also help people for free. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sure. I, I think that he would say that makes you slightly evil. I think you're right. And Chris would say it makes you a chump. So, um, Is Carissa good or evil? Oh, she's evil. Yeah, I know. Aha, so. Yeah, yeah. Don't worry. We get plenty of reminders how evil she is. Oh, okay. Yeah. I see him being sympathetic with the dark side. And I guess evil is more convoluted here than just like Voldemort kicking puppies. I got to shake my association with the word. Evil is self-interest rather than group interest. Sometimes the group's interest is your interest. Yeah. And sometimes your interest is the group's interest. You know, it, it goes both ways. And in those extents, I guess good and evil people can cooperate. Which is the way we want it. Yeah. All right. Well, continuing to speak about this um, balancing of pressures, he says a very large amount of reality in general are at balancing points of pressures, which is why that aspect of reality sticks around in that form. It's a very common, maybe the most common form that a hidden order takes. And I really think that this should be like rule of acquisition number one or something that uh most things are in an equilibrium 
look for the forces that are involved in maintaining that equilibrium. Keeping that in mind for most things and looking for the forces that cause that equilibrium is going to get you huge returns on all sorts of stuff. That's a good point. I'm glad you grabbed that because it's a good encapsulation of the idea. Like if things are a certain way, you can bet they're that way for, well, good reasons. I don't want to put moral weight on it, but they're, they're, they're that way for solid reasons. And it can, the, the equilibrium can be inadequate. I think there's a book like that. Um, mm-hmm. wrote a book called Inadequate Equilibria, if no one got that joke. The way that things are and have settled is there due to a large amount of pressure. It's, mind, it's good to keep that in mind. I liked this next bit. He's talking about insect species because like, he's, he's, they're trying to puzzle out why there aren't 10 more times as many women as men. Rather than just give them the answer, they're kind of you know puzzling through it. And I feel like I've heard this point, but I it felt like new knowledge to me or new insight to me. He says, insect species like ants, if you have those here, which you probably do if, if there's a word for ants, <laughs> which is kind of like just a fun throw in there. But uh, they have lots of worker ants all laboring for the benefit of an ant hive. They don't have equal investment in males and females. Ants can be balanced in different places because ants are produced differently and workers share more genes with their queens. He, I don't think it's in this sentence, but uh, the like labor force is male. Uh, in the ants and bees and stuff like that. That's because they are super easy to make. Protecting the one that makes more is like the job of everyone else. Um, yeah. And it's like, oh yeah, people don't work that way. That's why we're not that way. Right? <laughs> mm-hmm. it, it's just kind of fun. And then of course, too, you think about the size of, are they called queen ants? I believe so. I don't know why it's just queen bee, but anyway, the ant queen, they physically take more energy to raise and feed, right? Yeah. They're a multiple of size bigger. I mean, so it, it's kind of funny to think about like if uh, if female humans were 15 feet tall and everything else was about the same. Yeah, there'd be a lot more men mm-hmm. just because that, that would become the stable equilibrium. Have you seen the Dungeons and Dragons movie yet? No. Go see it. It sounds like there's some threat of death by snoo snoo, which uh, <laughs> there absolutely is. Well, all right. Did you see the honest trailer for that? I did on your recommendation. It was great. Yeah. A couple of things were like, oh, you know, I said like these, like two of these lines. This is perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm having a good old fashioned Skybeam in a while. Misty old friend. Um, <laughs> oh, here's one that I wanted to throw out to you. Uh, he says that I wouldn't be surprised if the event that you, you remember historically as humans gaining free will was the gods trying to modify people to work unselfishly for gods or maybe the gods factions like ants. But over time, these mutations accumulated in the human pop- in the human population that made them resistant to that magical template. I would be surprised if that was okay. the event that they remember historically as humans gaining free will. Like they've mentioned that this is like a thing that they remember happening, or that that it, it is said to have happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, when they say we, we remember that happening, do they remember that? Like we remember Jesus being crucified. Do we, do I, we remember I, that? Like we remember George Washington being president. Uh, like, I get the feeling it was thousands of years in the past. I mean, just because that sounds like the kind of bullshit you make up for a religion, right? It does, yes. But also, this is a world with actual gods and religions where praying gets you magic effects. So there could be truth in their religions. I mean, there, there's no doubt some. Like, you know, the fundamental truth that their gods exist is definitely one of them. But, mm-hmm. like, this sounds like the kind of thing that... I, I guess it's still not clear to me what they mean by free will. I'm genuinely... I find that incoherent. Uh, especially yeah. if... Keltham is said not to have it or to have it, and they aren't, um, or they are. I forget. I think we get an answer to that late in the lead reading here about uh, lawfulness versus chaos. Well, I I like that approach, but that's there are lawful people and there are chaotic people. Are, oh, I guess are they saying they say humans gaining free will, not just like worshippers of Asmodeus? 
if law was capital L law was was lack of free will, what is said to have happened that they used to not they used to be lawful and then they weren't? They used to basically be automata without free will, and now they do have that. So now they're chaotic. Certainly more chaotic than they were when they didn't have the ability to have free will. Okay. Like when you imagine a perfect robot servant who does whatever you say, do you would you consider that a lawful thing or a chaotic thing? I would consider it lawful. Okay. It's not making decisions. It's so, executing so, an algorithm. Right. So so that in that sense it's it's the yeah, the pure autonomous automata thing. Keltham is suggesting that okay, you guys used to be robots and then the gods came and sprinkled in some free will dust and that was them trying to make you work unselfishly for them which seems like it would be easier to do if you just, if they were just robots. Um, no, I, I don't think they did that at all. The, God, the gods were already... The gods had made the magic template to turn them into robots, automata. They pulled them from Earth or wherever. They modified them to have these automata servants. And then over time, mutations built up so that the, th- the structure they imposed that made them the robots uh, broke down and the humans regained free will. Gotcha. It seems like it would save the gods a lot of trouble if they just built actual robots. But it sounds like they did that too. Apparently, there's constructs and golems and shit. That's a good they point. Keep saying you should make a construct to yeah put in all the codes. Yeah, but yeah, it sounds like they need humans for some things that they can't get constructs to do. I guess, and that's still the mystery to me. Um, hmm. If it's souls or whatever, it's not clear to me why they couldn't have. I mean, because some constructs, at least in my understanding, like you, you can shove a soul into a golem, and it's just it's bent to your will, right? Uh, mm. Like you can animate the golem with a soul. I think that depends very much on the type of golem magic that they have. Yeah, and I have no idea what they're doing over there on Galarian. So, so one of the students actually it was a uh, Marichel that says uh, this fits what we've learned in theology class about there being deep reasons evil is a natural equilibrium, though it's not usually phrased like that. I like that explanation in that, but then I'm then I couldn't help but wonder like, are the other alignments actually consistent with evolutionary psychology? And it seems like no. I kind of have some reservations about taking at face value things that they have learned in theology class about the nature of evil. Well, but by the by the understanding that we have seen of how Keltham explains the equilibrium that they're at, right? Humans are evil by that definition with the capital E. And that, that's because there's no other way for evolved things to work. There will always be competition. There will always be more. There will always be resource scarcity. Obviously, there's some evil in humans because they care about their own offspring more than others, but there's also good in humans. I agree. Oh, yeah. Anyway. So I, I think I tell you, between this week and next week, I will actually just read two paragraphs on each of the on each of the alignments, because I think that these words are doing different stuff than they're doing in, in colloquial English. Yes, but the typical alignments that you read about in role playing games follow the colloquial English definition. And I don't think they're necessarily going to pan out in Ratvik. I think okay. part of the point is to dig into and deconstruct these things and look at how they do differ from the game setting slash colloquial definitions. Yeah. Cause I mean, like if you imagine a million Voldemorts that that world doesn't look very good or last very long. In fact, it looks way worse than Chelyax, right? Yeah. That's my usual template for evil. So they're clearly not quite like that, but they're also at the, at the level where, you know, they're fine having slaves. They lie to each other for sex and for everything. They're evil with a capital E, right? They torture people. And they, they take it to without people are squeamish about that. Yes, they're um, an extremely low trust society. Yeah, I do like his next thing. He says, I would not have thought, expected a stable society to be possible at this level of average intelligence. And I'm not sure how much further it stays possible. Uh, first of all, burn. Um, <laughs> but he, he is, in fact, wrong. Like, yeah. 
Earth society has that level of average intelligence, and we've been more or less stable for many thousands of years. And our society is mm. even way less fucked up than Cheliacs. It's definitely way less fucked up than Cheliacs. How do you define stability? Because there's been multiple collapses in human history of society. Yeah, I, I realized that when I put in parentheses, more or less. Um, I guess, yeah, I mean, you know, people died when their kingdom was, was destroyed and they starved to death or whatever. Um, but I, I my, my bar is unfairly high in that the world hasn't ended yet, um, <laughs> but only because it hasn't been possible. I think, I think if it were possible, like if, if ending the world was as easy as, um, whatever, toppling a kingdom, we'd all be super dead. So I'm, I agree. And I think for that reason, that stable society is not a good stable society and humans continue to exist are bad things to to equate with each other yeah I, I would definitely say that many societies have broken down it didn't cause the extinction of humanity but it certainly caused a lot of local misery and some local death yeah no you're right okay well what was the name of the character um ione sala right yeah that sounds right Keltham gets to the point where he's like this is why uh the sex ratio is what it is um, because if it was any other way, it would push back to the equilibrium of 50-50. She's thinking about how it's really beautiful that you could look at a species of half-man and half-woman and deduce so many other things from that, because you know why they're half-men and half-women. You can end up in another plane you had no idea existed, and within two minutes, you know the people there weren't originally created by the gods. Uh, I found that equally beautiful, which is why I'm pulling it out, that the deeper insights that you can get that spread through so many things like cracks through a sheet of ice is wonderful i like that feeling of underlying order and the feeling of power that comes with it you know i mean not to sound cliche but knowledge is power right mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know he was able to ask a couple questions about snowflakes and be like okay good you guys have physics like yes it there's a level of understanding of reality where it ceases to be just stuff you know for tests and starts to become power it's awesome. Yeah, no, I, I like that too. Great, great quote. The invisible guy that's in there watching them, the handler, is thinking that his teachings aren't as Asmodianism, but it does seem like there's a better crafted, more compelling version of Asmodianism buried in it once you strip out the stuff that's plainly aimed at advancing the art, rather than awing children into submission with it. I found that really interesting that he uh, is like, all that stuff in there about making you better at understanding the world and increasing the the art of rationality it's a good thing we can just rip that right out of there and use the core of this <laughs> to bludgeon children into awe and fear because uh that's the real important part like sacrificing progress on the theory on the epistemology on your ideology like whatever sacrificing that progress in order to get greater adherence it's desirable for them and i guess honestly there's a lot of ideologies that would like to sacrifice progress long-run things that would make them better off to get higher adherence to the ideology but man that sucks and i'm glad that we don't have that in i don't know my household <laughs> <laughs> since i guess there's plenty of it around so th this was in uh cutaway from the perspective of elias abarco one of the invisible spies right okay is uh, he the same one that uh did the awesome get the get the scroll just in time thing i hope so um, okay but if it's not him it's another one just like that so this isn't one of like the students who's being receptive this is someone who's here specifically to snoop 
right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. He, he's not going to be thinking about this, like trying to learn what's being taught. He's there trying to learn about Keltham. Yeah. So I get why he's twisting it that way. So yeah. Forget all, forget all the practicality of that stuff. No, no, we can, we can, uh, you know, take away, uh, we can, we can just use the tool, you know, we, we can, we can craft better, uh, blunt instruments with this <laughs> instead of better yes. tools. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, uh, Ione, Ione, uh, Sala, she has a thought where it's, a uh, little da- little further past that where it says she passes her loyalty scans by being cautiously obedient game player even in her own mind a sort of person that Chelyax considers adequately standard and predictable a sort of soul that Asmodeus considers to be an acceptably tyrannized slave mm-hmm. and uh, see being shaped by the gods sucks like people yeah. here aren't even shy about it being tyrannical slavery she's just you know that's how she she rolls and mm-hmm. then she says in the next, uh, her, her next thought is if she's a good enough wizard someday, Trelax will ask her to sell her soul. And after that, it'll be okay for her to think more freely. Yeah. What the hell does that mean? I guess it means that once they don't have to worry about you um, possibly becoming a heretic, then you have more freedom to think things because they got your soul no matter what, right? I thought the nature of being a heretic was that you might make other people heretics. Mm, may- maybe that's it too. I guess maybe it's not the heresy thing maybe that's why she still has to circumspect her her thoughts and her actions somewhat but a little more freely and is is the soul like the free will dust that the gods sprinkled in or no No, wait that's the stuff that evolved when after the after the gods uh programming wore off yeah that's i'm not trying to be obtuse here but and i'm not like this isn't me being like you know a radical new atheist but like the the idea of souls and free will actually make no sense to me yeah uh, i i get very you know at, at a high level you know quick view what they mean colloquially like i know what they mean when people talk about them but i think they're they're not they're not coherent right and but this is a world where these things are talked about in a way that they're facts of nature that are coherent right yeah so i i'm i'm really looking forward to seeing what the hell it is they're talking about yes yeah, so uh, what is a soul and she says she can think more freely after that. What if you can sell it? What is it doing for you? And if you can think better thoughts afterwards, then it, what what service is it doing for you? Well, I mean, you could think better thoughts afterwards because I think then you won't be tortured for thinking those thoughts. Right now, she can't think those thoughts because torture will result. Once her soul gets sold, then they won't torture her for thinking that. So then, then she's allowed to think more freely. Hmm. Although that thought, that thought itself sounds like heresy. But as long as she keeps that on the edge of her mind and doesn't try to think it explicitly, then she should be okay. I'm more curious as to why everyone can't just sell their soul then. Like, why does she have to first get asked and pass some kind of, it's now okay to ask her test. Like, if I am if I already am in Chaliax and pretty sure I'm going to die and go to hell at some point, why can't I just sell my soul right away and gain the benefits of that? I am guessing because people don't want to pay for it. Huh. What if I'm willing to sell it pretty darn cheap as long as I can think freely, think my thoughts freely? Then I, I yeah, then then in that case, I have no idea. Um, but she says that it's only if she's a good enough wizard that someday. Yeah. That she has to be a good enough her. wizard. Yeah. But yeah, so I mean, I figure like if you don't want to be a good wizard, but you think, hey, look, I'll sell myself 50 cents so I can have all the thoughts I want. Right? Yeah. You think everyone would do that. Um, I, I would think that, but apparently no, like somebody has to come up and ask you and you don't get asked unless maybe your soul isn't worth shit until you're a wizard. Um, I don't know why that would be. All I know about soul harvesting comes from the Elder, Scroll, Elder Scrolls games and all humans have like the same power of soul, but uh, 
I could imagine where like, you know, the higher level of the human, the higher value of the soul. Um, that said, you would think that a high level carpenter human would be just as good. Oh, wait, no, this is not, uh, this isn't Arab necessarily. <laughs> they have to do yeah. more combat stuff to uh, get their skills up, right? So I guess any any sufficiently advanced adventurer or wizard might have a valuable soul, whereas everyone else's are super cheap. You know, maybe since people can't leave the country, it's just assumed anyone that dies within the country, you get their soul anyway. So why would you pay for it? But once you're a good enough wizard, then uh, you have the power to maybe teleport out of there. And so they're willing to pay you money to get your soul uh, since you have oh, the ability to leave. It's I like not that. not guaranteed. Yeah. That could be. And he, but even so, I still think that petty souls have a value, you know? Uh, yeah, but why pay for it if you're getting it anyway? Yeah, that's a good point. Well, hopefully we'll find out. Um, yes. So they, uh, he, he's talking about um, uh, restoration magic. And he says, it, it, restoration isn't just a way of curing people of a set of problems. It's an investigation tool for seeing whether observ- observable qualities of people are being affected by things that restoration cures. Uh, first, open your eyes and look. Ask how every resource you have and everything in the world around you can be an eye. Um, that's interesting phrasing that I think my delivery didn't really encompass. But the part I grabbed that for is because uh, Ione thinks that this is the most Nethys thing ever. And Nethys was the chaotic god? I think she was the god of like using science on magic. That might be it. Which one was the one that kept nudging like, no, pay more for the squirrel? Like you know, or give, give them more think, levels. Yeah, yeah. I think that was Nethys. That was, wasn't that just like for shits and giggles, like chaos though. I, Hmm. Maybe that wasn't Nethys then. God damn it. I don't know. Let's, let's uh, find sorry. out. I'm, I'm trying to search it, but it's hard. Uh, how do you spell Nethys? N E T H Y S. N E T H Y S. I was going to do a search through the story, right? I can just Google it. Uh, yeah, yeah. Nethys was the one that paid for more and is totally, sort of a chaos trickster god kind of thing and so so the most nethys thing that she's ever heard was basically uh like keep your eyes open so everything relates to everything else and uh whatever look for opportunities look for results i guess because that is that is um inherently like as he describes later not lawful lawful is here's the steps do them yeah maybe maybe it's that yeah, specifically, I'm thinking that um, someone in the Discord said that Nethys is the god of um, using science and magic. Okay, cool. Fair enough. Like sort of an experimenter kind of thing. That works so she me. was definitely super crazy and, you know, manic. But if, if she's also the one of, of science and magic, then that uh, this would make more sense. All right. Always, always ask how everything you have can be used to find out more stuff. Um, but yeah, on, on that same topic, there's a famous Dothalani fictional character who spent too much time fighting and now thinks in terms of how every object in a room can be used as a weapon. And he says that same way, everything around you is a tool for investigation. It is a potential way to poke other things and reveal facts about them. I love that. I points out that creative thinking is OP and it reminds you that you can use everything to investigate everything else in some way or another. Like, uh, what happens when you throw the rubber duck up? Uh, it'll land in the bathtub and water will splash. And oh my God, isn't that interesting, you know? <laughs> or oh, what happens when you smash this rock onto that desk? Oh, the desk breaks and not the rock. That's interesting too, you know? You, you, you can always learn new stuff. That's why when kids and cats knock things over, they're just doing science. <laughs> At least in the initial stages, yes. Eventually, it just turns into spite when you're a cat. 
I don't know. They seem so curious about it, but yeah. they, you know, I liked the the fictional character who spent too much time fighting and now thinks of every object, how every object in the room can be used as a weapon. Makes me think of Mr. Potter, give me 10 creative uses for objects in this room. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Hufflepuff um, bones. <laughs> He's never going to live that down. No. Keltham says, before you look at your results, you should try to come up with some prior idea of ways which reality could be that could produce which results. What are the different things that might be true? Once again, this is the ways of Bayes. Uh, you first have to hypothesize, what are you more likely to see in reality based on what you believe? Yeah. I like how that's so unintuitive to them, too. They are being faced with a question they don't know how to answer. So uh, Keltham says, when you're faced with a question like that, uh, kids often would try to invent a game corresponding to the question that they might learn something from playing. It might be worth your time to spend a whole day playing games like that. Uh, I liked this quite a bit because, you know, play is just the natural way that humans learn. And I don't know, I... This is a this passage made me feel slightly old because <laughs> as I've grown older, I have found games to be less and less fun, and I, the rewards in games seem kind of lame and fake now. And that, on the one hand, that kind of sucks because play is how most learning is done, and uh, it means that I'm not going to be learning nearly as much stuff. Um, on the other hand, is there any value of learning about which? combination of strategies in a certain game leads to victory i don't think that there is necessarily because that's going to get me some pixels and maybe a rush of serotonin or dopamine but it's not going to affect anything outside that that knowledge isn't going to help me in any other way um but it didn't matter when i was younger like just the act of playing even though the rewards were ephemeral and would disappear when the computer got turned off it was still fun and I assume that that shift in me is largely a hormonal thing because, you know, in ye olden times at my age, there wouldn't be enough time left to exploit uh, whatever I learn in my life and any new gains that I make from learning. So I should very much focus instead on extracting gains from what I've learned up to now, right? I only got maybe a decade left before I croak, so not <laughs> much point in learning new things. Just start uh, start gathering resources and shit with what I got, but uh I don't know. Obviously, that's not how soon I'm going to die. Hopefully, anyway, crossing my fingers. And I think once we do completely solve aging, probably one of the most important texts we're going to need uh, soon after is the ability to cycle between hormone profiles so people can move between various motivational states, like uh, when you need to learn things or even just want to learn things, cycle back into a more of a young curiosity, play is fun sort of state. And once you want to actually do stuff, cycle more into a play is boring and applying what I've learned to get stuff from it is the interesting rewarding thing. Man, that sounds OP as, as fuck. And I love it. Um, hmm. Yeah. I, I, it's interesting. I will, uh, I'll do a base blast before this episode airs with, uh, if I can get a participant, which I think I can uh, for breath of the, or the tears of the kingdom, the sequel to breath of the wild that came out last week. Cool. Uh, in the first three days, I think it sold 10 million copies. Okay. Uh, it's it's enormous success and as far as like learning stuff uh, you know i'm not learning anything about reality right uh, but yeah. i'm deliberately avoiding watching like 15 tips for new players videos or whatever because you can get so creative in this game and really there's really galaxy brain limits on what you can do with your creativity but it allows me to like i have a lot of fun just with that right like oh i haven't thought of approaching the problem this way or i wonder what happens if i do this oh no way that's awesome Neat. So that's a lot of fun, but you're right. It's not useful. 
if anything, it's the opposite of useful for me right now because uh, it's impacting my productivity and sleep. But it's fun. <laughs> cool. Yeah. You know what's not is these games that he has them play. <laughs> they certainly don't seem to be having much fun playing them. Keltham, he's not sure what's going wrong with the way nobody's having fun. He doesn't want to train his students that simulation games aren't fun. It makes me think of Captain Holt. Why is no one having fun? I specifically requested it. Uh, <laughs> but in, in fairness... From Brooklyn Nine-Nine, right? Yeah. Okay, cool. In fairness, though, these sound boring as fuck. I don't know what they're doing, but like, think of a game you can invent on the spot and then play it. Making a game that doesn't suck is actually really, really hard. Mm-hmm. Making it fun is also really hard. Of course they didn't make fun games. It definitely sounded like a terrible game, but like when he added some twists to it, it sounded more fun when he was done. I was like, oh yeah, that might actually be decent to play for a little bit. They probably te- teach Dothalonians the uh, the skill of how to make games, but I say this as somebody who doesn't make games, but somebody who really appreciates games. Um, oh yeah, and uh, it's not easy. Yeah, I've, I mean, it's it's, I, and I've played a lot of a lot of bad games. Um, yeah, and then it makes you able to appreciate good ones and see how hard it is to actually do that right. Yeah, he points out that apparently nobody has any idea how fun game design works or uh, how to do accurate simulation game design. And uh, they're playing a game that would be cooperative in real life as if it's a competitive one. Based on this, it sounds like they teach game design in Dothalon just as a basic life skill, which is very cool. And another thing that real schools could do if they didn't suck. Agreed. Yeah, maybe someday they will. Fingers crossed. I mean, I'm sure the good ones do. Maybe. Probably. Fair enough. We need to abolish the bad schools. Yeah, which is to say the supermajority of them. Yes. <laughs> the ones that taxes pay for. It's unfortunate. Yeah, it is. But you know what? That brings us back to in- inadequate equilibria. And today is not an inadequate equilibria discussion day. Or the, maybe it is. I mean, the forces behind why school is the way it is are mm-hmm. super strong, right? Mm-hmm. And that's, yeah. that's all that needs to be said about it for the purposes of this conversation. So... Well, speaking about inadequate equilibria, he talks about how in Dothalon, because they're talking about reproduction and human reproduction right now, 20s is considered socially fine and the default childbearing years. And you would only push childbearing into your teens or your 30s if you were planning to have lots of kids and your 20s weren't enough. Um, Before I get into my stuff, I was wondering if you had any general, generic, general thoughts on aging and uh, children. Uh... I guess not in the spirit of the question, but related. I started feeling old when people I knew started having kids on purpose. Mm, okay. You know, like I, I knew people in my early 20s and I remember coming to work one day and it was a coworker that I wasn't that close with saying that he was late because he learned his girlfriend is pregnant. And I almost said, oh, shit, dude, that sucks. But I, I caught myself and I said, oh, well, how, how do you feel about that? He's like, oh, I'm stoked. I'm like, good for you. Oh. You're 20. You work at a <laughs> bank. I'm sure that this is going to be great. Um, yeah. but you know, I'm not going to rain on his braid. Um, I hope that it worked out great for them, but, mm. uh, yeah, then, then, you know, people started having kids st- on purpose. Do you still stand by that feeling of, oh shit, dude, that sucks that he has having a kid at 20? Uh, yes. Interesting. Okay. I, I don't think that he had the, I mean, he just became an adult, right? Uh, uh he can't yeah. even drink the woes of fatherhood away. Um, <laughs> That's a good point. But uh, (laughs) even if he was allowed to do that, it's like, you know, he's still coming online as a sapient person. I don't know how much fun he was allowed to have before his life is radically constrained, right? Yeah, I I think a large part of that um, points to the problem of keeping children in 
or keeping adults in prisons uh, until they are in their early 20s rather than letting them get on with life. Um, so, yeah, obviously you haven't had much time to live life yet if you've been in a fucking part-time prison all your all your adulthood. Yeah, uh, but I think even like part of that prison is just being, you know, a dumb kid. And that doesn't really start wearing off until your 20s. I think it could start wearing off a bit earlier if you weren't forced into schools like that. That's that's I I could that, I, that's plausible. Yeah, and I, I I my my other thought in relation to I guess aging in children is I'm not a baby scientist, but my one data point is that my wife's parents had her when they were in their mid 30s, I think, mm-hmm. and she's a beautiful rock star genius. So uh, yeah. it's clearly not you know, and I actually remember reading somewhere that. Like a lot of that, that re- like quote unquote, when people say, oh, well, research shows that, you know, after 30 something, you know, your, your kids start turning out poorly from bad, you know, bad sperm or bad eggs or whatever, that most of that research was done with like shitty 1980 or 1800s science. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how much of that actually is, is stuff that we actually know versus stuff people just made up 200 years ago. And also they were probably huffing a lot of coal dust and uh, drinking a lot of mercury back then. Yeah, that's definitely a big part of it too, right? But yeah. I think that uh, like the, the I, I don't know how sound the science is behind that pop wisdom. Gotcha. Yeah. Anyway, so what are your thoughts? I um, based on at least when I um, just before I got my vasectomy, I got some sperm put on ice, and I, I heard basically the same thing that the the older you get, the harder it is to get good sperm. So this was a good time to be doing it anyway. And they did, I don't know, run some tests on it and basically tell me how it looks in terms of, you know, the optimum range of sperm. So I think there is definitely some uh, good science that backs up the the decrease in quality as you age thing. I mean, I'm sure there's some limit, right? I'm not saying that, uh, you know, at 70, you've got the ripest sperm. But like, I think that the the idea that people think that they have until their mid thirties, then everything starts going, you know, immediately quick to shit. I think that part is uh, overhyped. But if these people, you know, you you met with real scientists who work in you know modern age, I'm sure that they know more than I do. So um, yeah, maybe your odds of of whatever success go down or something. But who knows? Right. I mean, they definitely do, and that makes conception harder because a lot of the times when what we think of conception is just the thing actually implanting, and when you're in your 30s, a lot of the the fertilized eggs are just like, oh, yeah, no, this one's no good. It gets flushed out, and so, uh, yeah, hmm. the, the, they still fertilize the egg, just not a very good fertilization, so it goes out the trash, and they try again next month. Your body tries again next month. Well, at least people like trying. <laughs> that's true uh but the real thing that i was thinking about like i wasn't even really thinking about this in terms of uh genes because i assume well you, you can get around that with ivf where they actually get the good eggs the good sperm they put them together cost some money but whatever um I, i'm not that worried about the that aspect of it what i was actually thinking about was the literal when is it a good time to be a parent for the first time because i really when I think about 25-year-old me being a father, I shudder at the thought. I would, I don't think I would have been a good parent at that age. Um, and I feel that now I actually have the temperament and some of the wisdom to do it well. Uh, but on the other hand, I am really keenly aware in the differences in available energy. And I, from everything that I've heard, children take up an amount, immense amount of energy. 
And like my ability to absorb sleep deprivation in the 20s, in my 20s, was huge. And my spare energy that I could throw at things was significantly higher than it is now. And so that is that is a massive advantage to having kids in your 20s that maybe outweighs the this worst temperament that maybe like I'm specifically would have been extra bad at being a father at 25 and other people would have it better. But I don't know if the extra wisdom and more calm understanding temperament is enough of a offset to make up for the lower energy and lower ability to absorb sleep deprivation and other shocks like that. So yeah, I don't, I I'm really torn on the issue. I don't know yeah, that, that's if maybe the twenties is the best decade to have kids, you know? You know, maybe there's some variety among people, but the the thing I think about sleep deprivation really speaks to me right now. I don't know what it is, but I've been not sleeping well for the last few months and it has been killer. And you know, I have gone through periods like this in my life, but it, this is like the worst it's ever been. Um uh like not 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 the worst sleep, but the worst like my ability to cope with it. Um mm. and it's kind of surprising. So yeah, there's definitely something to that, uh, which is probably why humans, you know. Uh, are capable of reproducing younger, right? If if we were best, if we were, well, it seems like it'd be nice if uh, evolution could have given us the best of both worlds, but it gave us the adequate of both worlds. Um, right. Uh, anyway, the um, I I don't know. Yeah, it's it's a it's a tough trade off. I don't have a good. Um, I, I, I don't future, think there's a, a golden golden recipe. I guess the, the like one one option could be you know work hard and save until your forties, and then you can hire full time help. Yeah. I guess so. I mean, certainly you get through those first couple of three years where, you know, sleep is, like, yeah. you know, the biggest, biggest hit. I guess I just, I don't know if my future kids were to, theoretical future kids were to ask me, what decade should I start having kids? Maybe I would say mid twenties. I don't know. Hmm. I, do, I wouldn't say that to mine, but I haven't given it that much thought. Yeah. Neither is Keltham for that matter, actually. Um, he was saying that the prospect of having 144 kids here would be less of a fun, awful question if this place was less of a giant flaming mess. Uh, should I maybe wait until I've had at least two consecutive waking hours that have gone by without my realizing once again that things in Galarian are much worse than I previously realized? <laughs> <laughs> and I think, yes, slow your roll. Um, <laughs> you know, you have to realize that you're also creating a bunch of beings that will eventually be tortured in hell. But he I hasn't had that explained explicitly yet. Yeah, uh, he's had it. He's had it um, nicely paved over. That's going to be one of the things that he's going to realize, you know, after two more waking hours go by that like, oh, shit, I almost damned a bunch of people to hell. Mm-hmm. Uh, a bunch of people that I actually care about. When he says, should I maybe at least wait until two successive waking hours have gone by uh, without, you know, me realizing things are worse than I thought? Like, I, I don't think that's a serious question. I think that is his way of saying, oh, my God, I have not had two successive waking hours where I haven't realized things are worse than I thought they were. This is a sign, guys. This may not be a safe place to have kids. I, I think it was a rhetorical kind of a question. Yeah, I think it was rhetorical, but the best kind of rhetorical question, the kind that like is is kind of kind of an actual question. Like, I don't, I don't think that if he, if it was two hours and 15 minutes, then he'd be like, okay, that's long enough. Mm. But he, he basically is saying, I keep learning how much this place sucks. And I keep being surprised every couple of hours. Like, maybe I should wait until those start tapering off. So then I'll actually have an idea of how much this place sucks before I decide if I want kids. Yeah, that's true. He has kind of decided he does want kids, I guess. Has, has he? I think he's down to 65%. <laughs> All right, good point. Well, no, I think that's what he says. That's literally what he says. Yes. Yeah. That, that is why I said that's a good point. So this is where he asks them like the uh, safe and effective things that they would do 
if they're going to uh, try to increase or basically mess the genetics to, of corn to try and increase crop yields. Mm-hmm. And the first answer he gets when he's like, Hey, well, what are some good ideas is pray for guidance mm-hmm. um, that uh, they're like, yeah, I know that's probably not what you're going for. But, and frankly though, I think that's a, a really good suggestion. And I think like we've had hand wavy explanations or hand wavy explanations for why people aren't doing this. Mm-hmm. but I'm not convinced yet. Like the gods are finicky or whatever, but Keltham hasn't really had that demonstrated to him. Yeah. Uh, his cleric, like six hours after he got here, um, maybe the gods will talk to him more than talk to other people. I think, I think people do do that. Like as uh, I think the next sentence she says after pray for guidance is that it's the frontline intervention for unexpected consequences. I think the gods just don't answer very often or don't give good answers, but it sounds like people definitely try. Yeah. I, I guess it's a frontline intervention. Front, I guess, yeah, it's not clear, I guess, how effective it is. But, uh, you know, clearly they can't ask the gods what to do and they get an optimal answer back, right? Um, yeah. But I, I like I, I like that this keeps being brought to Keltham's attention, uh, mm-hmm. which I think might be Kelsey's way of saying, you know, Keltham, look at the gods. I want to talk mm-hmm. god stuff. Um, <laughs> and it's also just a big fact of their reality. So, of course, they're going to mention it. Um, yeah. But... I, I like, then he's thinking about how, how could there be a disaster, not just a minor stumble from trying to create a new strain of corn. Then Mm -hmm. Ottomans weighs in and says, Ottomans wishes she had not been reminded of that. Those were not good times. (laughs) (laughs) There was a corn incident. (laughs) I'm sure there was something terrible. Mm -hmm. Um, Maybe, maybe they all got pounded in the butt by their handsome creamed corn. It, you know, it could be worse. Uh, the, The, the kids, they all throw out, or I guess the students, they all throw out just uh, like increasingly more fun examples. Like, mm. you know, it's really good for a certain kind of pest. They grow big and eat everybody. It smells irresistible to dragons. It angers the fae. It's more fertile, but it, then it grows everywhere, literally everywhere. Uh, it's great for a couple of years, but it's sucking the vitality of the soil. Uh, like, it grows 600 feet in height and angers aerial dragons. Um <laughs> More plagues or more uh, more pests. This is one of my favorites. It's addictive, and once you've eaten it, you can't eat anything else. <laughs> and then my real favorite answer was: it's actually just mediocre corn, but with mind control to make you think it's really great corn. And we're convinced we succeeded and planted everywhere. At which point, it's powerful enough to enslave the whole country. And they throw these ideas out, you know, one after another, just boom, boom, mm-hmm. boom, boom, boom. Mm-hmm. And uh, that that was like my like, oh, okay, cool. They it is great to probe them for ideas because none of these things have occurred to him. Literally maybe, maybe the pest thing, right? The mildest form of the pest thing. Yeah. Not, not like locusts that will lay their eggs, you know, and they'll have, uh, well, no, maybe the the locust thing was probably the only one that occurred to him. Not the, you know, the whatever man sized rats, you know? Yeah. But I, I, the mind control that makes you think it's good corn. (laughs) (laughs) These ladies have a lot of experience living in a Buffy environment. I, I love the idea that you could make a crop that like isn't actually that good, but it's like the mutation is that it makes people think it's awesome. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then Ottoman says, these little mortals have no idea, do they? Which means that these are all like throwaway, no problem examples, right? Yeah. These are probably <laughs> things they're living with right now. Their blueberries actually aren't good. <laughs> right. <laughs> they say that something about the pest thing is actually true. It's good for, you know, that, but that's what adventurers are for. Um, mm, yeah, yeah. Some of these things are like it happened to my father and his father, and some of them are like, well, it happens to like my cousin's friend or whatever, right? I think most of these are the kinds of things that happen, and I love it. Yeah, <laughs> it was fantastic. 
um, oh, they're talking about the world wound, you know, and it's like, is this the worst problem? I think that they're all like, oh, yeah, totally. But then Carissa thinks a lot of people, it has occurred to Carissa, think Chelyax is the worst problem in the entire world. But that's because they're dumb and get really worked up about a little bit of torture. Yeah. So in case anyone needs a weekly reminder that she's super evil, here it is. Hmm. But maybe those people are wrong and Chelyax is not the worst problem in the world because there's much worse problems than some torture. Yeah, but the I think the the flippant dismissal of it, right? If that was the case, her thought might be they think Chelyax is the worst problem in the world. They don't understand that the evils that we that we do here are necessary. Okay, she, she thinks, I see what she you're thinks that they're dumb because they worked up, they get worked up about torture. Yeah, but maybe like once you've lived through several sessions of intense torture, you're like, you know, this this isn't really that big a deal, guys. You can take some torture to be a little bit better of a servant to Asmodeus. I think that. You're actually enforcing my point rather than diminishing it, but... (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Fair enough, yeah. I I also think that because we both want to like Carissa, it's hard not to color our view of like, oh, no, I'm sure she's great, right? Yeah. But I I think she's probably going to be like horrifyingly evil. Oh, man. Okay. Fingers crossed. That sure would be interesting. Yeah. Then they're talking about uh, human breeding again, and someone says it would be like a logistical nightmare to try to have a man impregnate 10,000 women. And Keltham says, hey, if doing that sort of thing wouldn't kill everyone, jumping two intelligence points in a generation would be worth a few logistical difficulties. Mm-hmm. And now he's saying, you know, yeah, sometimes you got to roll up your sleeves and do what it takes to get the job done. You know? <laughs> yeah. Sure, it'll yeah. be hard, but I'm I'm willing to put in the hours. <laughs> <laughs> Although, also, those would not be fun hours necessarily because it sounds like it'd be basically a lot of jacking off. Jacking well, off until your penis is sore. So, well, so the thing is, I think that he... If it was, if they had great, uh, whatever, artificial insemination techniques, yeah. they could do it with one, you know, one session of, of, uh, into a cup, right? Oh, yeah, maybe they could actually. But, but they totally can't. I think because, because Krista has a thought about like, um, this would involve, you know, like basically torture. Yes. That, that is what the girls are thinking. Yeah. So, or yeah, the girls are, the, or Chris, I forget, but yeah, so they, uh, they're, they're not, they're not doing the safe artificial insemination thing. They're going to you know, do it the tortury way. Cause that's, that's the way that they do stuff here. Yeah. Again, suboptimal. Yeah. But <laughs> you know, that that's interesting that they think he is on their side. They're like, Oh wow. Yeah. He's, he's also up for torturing someone. If it would make the, uh, IQ jump by two points. Okay, cool. Good to know. All right. We'll, uh, we'll chain him down later. Later. We'll get, we'll let him go through the week and then we'll chain him down this weekend. Exactly. I think that's what we call dramatic irony and death by Tell- snoo snoo. Maybe you that's how the story I'm, ends. I'm, <laughs> yeah, he gets snoo snoo to death. He might. Maybe he gets dangerously injured by snoo snoo by the end of the week. But Ooh, uh, if neat. it was going to happen, it will happen way before like the millions of words long this story is. So mm, it still would be great if that was like how he died in the end, sacrificed himself via death by snoo snoo. <laughs> I never thought I'd die this way, but I've always really but, hoped. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. This um, is from Futurama. Everyone needs to watch that show, which reminds me, quick throwaway, it's getting a new revival. I think this is the fourth or fifth time it's been brought back from being canceled. Oh, it it got worse each time it got brought back, though. It sure did. This is going to suck. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, Futurama was amazing the first few years, but it went downhill every time it got canceled and brought back, because I think I got back, brought back with less of the original people each time. Yep. Oh, well. So he's talking about locks after this. It, basically, he's talking about how complicated locks get on Dothalon, which, A, makes you wonder why they need such complicated locks if everyone's nice and lawful, and B, mm. he says that you get keeper locks, although that's they also appear to be the more powerful weapons the military is allowed to own. 
And it makes me wonder why Dothalon has a military. Like, well, are they fighting each other or are they just keeping a standing army in case the aliens invade? I would assume even if you have one world government, you still need a military to enforce the one world government aspect of it. When you get pirates and warlord groups banding together, you can smash them down and be like, no, none of that. We are still a single good government. Hmm. Yeah, I suppose. But does that really require a standing army? I mean, I guess so. Yeah, you can't like put an army together really quick if, you know, you're getting dissenters. Yeah, I I guess the military might be just a few thousand guys. Yeah, that's a good point. All right. Well, that answers that question. So we get into probably the coolest part of all this, where he points out that variation is a kind of resource. When you're optimizing for things, you are optimizing across the variation you have, and you reduce some of that variation as you get more optimal. That's what makes variation a resource. Uh, You can only get as much optimization as you have variation to squeeze into or squeeze onto the problem. You know what I'm trying to say? Yeah, this was the really cool point that he made at the end. Uh, And we're we're kind of leading up to his mic drop here moment. Yeah, he he points out that the longer you've hammered on a problem without solving it, the more likely it is that you need somebody new. The youth advantage, the noobs advantage, it's the real thing, can actually really help. When I first started reading it, I was like, oh man, he's making a really strong case for getting a lot of gold for his very different semen, you know? Because <laughs> he is adding a lot of variation into their thing, and so that he can optimize real hard on that variation again to get ratchet up another notch or two for their entire society. But as you were saying, he brings it back to this cool lawful versus chaotic free will kind of thing by pointing out if there's a best way to do things, wouldn't doing it any different way necessarily be doing it worse? And I think we talked about that several times already uh, before this in various episodes. Free will itself may be bad in that it is results in suboptimal things being chosen, but it preserves variation and that makes up for that badness. I really liked that, but it also made me suspect that I'm motivated to accept this answer for the suboptimal reasons of me just liking variation personally, rather than for the reasons he's saying. Well, at least you like the right thing. Um, <laughs> you know, it would be maybe better like stuff for quote unquote, the right reason. But as it is, your aesthetic inclinations are correct. If your inclinations are towards diversity of ideas and stuff like that, that is actually the recipe for success. According to this lecture that he has given, yes. And That makes me suspicious about accepting it because it seems very convenient that the thing that I like is also the best answer. Ah. And I hope it is because that would be great, but uh, it immediately throws up red flags. I am sympathetic to that concern. So it is good to be extra scrutiny, bring some extra scrutiny to it. It's hard to say, right? Because I like the, when he keeps saying that there's a saying that even in chaos, almost everything is made of law. I think when we get to that, we can swing back to this. Okay. We... Oh, actually, we're not getting to that just yet because there's a couple more diversions before we get to that. Uh, Let's hit those real quick before we get to the mic drop. Yeah. First thing he says is that his desire to have kids has dropped to maybe 65%. Not so much about this update about Galarian's nature, but as to what it implies, because all his first order updates have been in the same direction so far. He says, to be repeatedly surprised by the same observation indicates that the machinery making up yourself is not properly reflecting the idea of surprise. (laughs) Which made me think, oh, hey, yeah, it's the AI thing again. Because most of the people I know who aren't freaking out out about AI right now are the ones who just became recently uh, just became knowledgeable about it, right? They just became aware that this AI is a thing when GPT 3.5 Uh, made its big debut and everybody started talking about it. But like, 
those of us who've been watching this since the pre-AlphaGo days, like back when AlphaGo first came out and GP2 came out and we saw it iterate and each iteration was significantly more powerful before and faster than before. Like we were surprised, or at least I personally was surprised enough times by how much change had happened to how quickly that you, you just crank up the old update meter eventually. And then when GPT-4 comes out, you're like, yeah, I'm actually not surprised this time because I have cranked up my update meter and uh, I know where this is going. And that's that's why it's harder for me to be upset at the people who are like, oh, yeah, this this AI thing, that's really cool and powerful, but it's no big deal. Because, yeah, this one thing isn't a big deal, but I really wish you'd been paying attention for the past four or five years so that you could realize how big of a deal it actually is compared to what was expected and uh, how things should have been progressing. I agree. When you're seeing it in isolation, it's much less um, impactful than when seeing it on the trend curve that we've been seeing it on. Yeah. Yeah. And he's been seeing a trend curve as to how bad Galarian is. Right. And he should, he should see where it starts tapering for sure. Yeah. Uh, he briefly mentions partial ejaculation technique as a way to impregnate multiple people quickly, which uh, piqued my interest. But I Googled and I have nothing. No, there is no partial ejaculation technique in real life, as far as I can tell. Uh, the closest thing was uh, the retrograde ejaculation, which is sometimes called partial ejaculation, but it's certainly not what he was referring to in terms of like, you know, I partially ejaculate and then I wait and then I partially ejaculate in someone else. Like, so well, I thought you have what, any, I thought that's what he's referring to. Retrograde ejaculation. I assumed. I, I don't think so because you couldn't use that to um, impregnate multiple people. Could you? Uh, my understanding is that uh, this is why like quote unquote, the pull-up method doesn't work because you're uh, this is, it's weird. It sounds vulgar because our society is all puritanical. Um, mm. Like it. Uh, what am I trying to say? Um, the semen like gets diverted up into the bladder, right? Oh, we're talking about different things. No, uh, okay. you get you get um, uh, some ejaculate during the course of of uh, intercourse. Um, oh, right. Yeah, yeah. And I suppose so. You have some sex with one girl, some sex with another, some sex with another, and you you don't you know you only finish you know once, right? Oh, right. But, yeah. But you've, you've had the opportunity then to have impregnated multiple people during one uh, session. Yeah, but the pre-ejaculation impregnation is very rare. Yeah, but it's not like, zero. It's not it's, impossible. It's, but it might be the best technology they have on offer. I, If they have a partial ejaculation technique, that f- sounds much more like I'm going to come with just my left nut right now. And then I'm going to come with my right nut later. And uh, that that is that is certainly not that. Ah, I, I guess maybe I was just assuming something simple. I also like that you Googled it. Enjoy your targeted ads. Um, <laughs> if I get a targeted ad telling me how I can do this sort of half and half ejaculation, it will be for the best. And I will thank Google. And share your wisdom with the rest of us. Absolutely. If any <laughs> listener knows what the heck this is about, let us know. Um, I like how later on he's doing the the Harry method of teaching mm. where he's, he, they're talking about like, you know, the best combo for a lock was like the default combo, right? Yeah. Uh, Cause some people don't change it. And so it's like the only like sure bet uh, Mm -hmm. of like your top candidate. And then uh, like he was, you know, well, obviously you try that once. If it doesn't work, you try another one. And they were, they were like, well, hold on. You're reversing your argument because he's saying you should just keep trying it because it's the best number, right? It's the best. Mm -hmm. You should keep doing the best Mm -hmm. thing. And uh, they were like, you've reversed your argument. He's like, no, that was some other Keltham. Or that was, I'm the Keltham who thinks that repeating zero, one, two, three, four, five is a great strategy, and he's going to keep lecturing you on it until one of you manages to talk him out of it by explaining exactly what he's doing wrong. 
and then they're like, look, you're the, the lock. Yeah, sure. The lock didn't change, but you know, the, what you know about it did. Ah, so what you're saying is that my knowledge of the lock changed, but the, not the lock itself. I suppose I could buy that. Doesn't that mean that I have to keep on changing which things I tried as I observed the result of my knowledge and kept and that kept changing too? Kept changing though. That sounds inconvenient and difficult and not very lawful, really. Mm. And just like that, they're all heretics. Oh no! <laughs> I guess I'm not exactly sure what the tenets are and what it takes to become a heretic, but it sure sounds like it's dangerous, right? Yeah, he just convinced them that they're doing something that's not very lawful. Yeah. Oh boy. Oh man. But this is great. Yeah, I love this whole interaction. This I'm a different Keldum thing. And he says, wouldn't it be better to build a lawful construct instead of a chaotic one, which would just uh, kept putting in that one number over and over? It's going to be a great construct. The best. <laughs> Optimal. <laughs> and the girls are all protesting. They're like, no, trying every number in order is totally lawful. Law doesn't have anything to do with that. And Carissa is thinking to herself, uh, she's going to be able to resolve the bet this evening. Uh, proposes everyone double or nothing on their is Keltham a sadist betting. That brought me up short because like Keltham is totally trolling the girls here. He's doing, as you put in your comments, the Harry method of teaching and it's super fun and he's having fun, but I don't think having fun trolling someone while you're teaching them makes you a sadist. Like trolling can be a lot of fun and, and saying that it makes you a sadist implies that all dads are sadists because dads do this to their kids all the time. I think more than implying that all dads are sadists implies that Carissa and possibly everyone on this planet is too quick to assume everything is a sex thing. Well, sadism isn't just a sex thing. Sadism is in general taking pleasure at other people being hurt. Yeah, I, I suppose. But when she says she, she's going to, re- going to resolve it tonight, it's because of the sex thing. Yeah, I, I don't, I mean... You're right, not, abs- not absolutely positively has to be that way, but that is, in fact, the way it is. She can get evidence as to whether he's a sadist or not during the sex part. Okay, see, I, I guess I just assumed it was a sex thing. Yeah, I, I don't think having a little fun and a little trolling is sadist, sadistic, but... Uh, I agree. Yeah, so uh, they're they're wrong. I think that's settled. Oh, good. Okay, cool. Yeah, they're just right. nuts. Okay. <laughs> evil, evil nuts. Exactly. So then we get the mic drop. Did you want to? No, no, you go ahead. Keltham is explaining, there is a tension in Dathalon between possessions, uh, whether it's more important in general for everyone to do things a bit more differently or more together. Dathalon has terminology for this dichotomy of strategies between the search to find the optimal best answer and use it versus trying many different answers to be more resilient and explore a space more widely. If I say the Dathalani words directly, for these two directions a society can move along this dimension, they come out in this language as lawful and chaotic. Yay. How fun, how fun is it that like he caught himself thinking these thoughts and was like, oh, okay, I can deliver this you know, in a different way. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I liked it. I thought that was really cool. That was freaking awesome. That was just a, a mind blow moment. And it made a lot of reading worth it to, to get that payoff at the end. You know, I, I found this lecture, again, more fun, um, maybe because it wasn't so alien. Like I knew some about evolution. I knew some about arms races and that sort of stuff. This seemed to tie into this, the language of the story more than the math lecture did so far. Yes, that is the thing that really made the difference, that it brought in the conflict between lawful and chaotic, between good and evil, the things that this story is about that we care about, and took us further along that conflict using the lecture. Yes, I like it. 
Even Elias Zabarko, who's not an 18-year-old girl and is not going to gape wonderingly at Keltham because everything makes sense, no one will notice since he's invisible, but it, nonetheless, he has too much dignity. I think even he is trying to keep his jaw off the floor. Yep. And he's just like, oh shit, it's never been explained so succinctly with real examples that I can actually understand to get my head around. Um, I'm sure they have their own explanations for what these things mean. Uh, mm-hmm. Having it tie into a way that like kind of shows like, look, actually... You need both. And what mm-hmm. was what was Chelyx again? They were they were lawful evil. Uh huh. Gotcha. So he's he's showing them the the virtue of uh, chaos. Yes. Awesome. Starting out from showing them the beauty and the power of because you see that there are fifty percent men, fifty percent women. These are all these other things you can learn from it and bring it all back around to this once they've already been awed by the power of all that. And yeah, it was it was so good. Hell yeah. Well, that was. In my opinion, the emotional climax there, again, huge props to the people uh, in our spoilers channel for knowing where to end these things super well. Uh, There is one last thing that I pulled out here at the end where Carissa, she's saying Carissa thinks she has an idea of, um, of, okay, so briefly he, Keltham was saying that he doesn't understand why, um, why revenge for women is considered more chaotic than revenge for men. And so the, the revenge for women goddess is a chaos goddess. Uh, and that's because now that we have read all this, we realize it's because they have patriarchy in, uh, in Galarian and they don't in Datalan. Um, Carissa says, Carissa thinks she has an idea of that. Actually, I'm assuming the same one I had, but she doesn't want to be that person who wants to talk about sexism every day. Like she cares what happens to other people. And I thought that was very sweet that she does care about what happens to other people and she cares enough that she's trying to deny it. And, you know, she's like, yeah, well, I don't care about other people. So I'm just not even going to say about realizing why it is. See, I'm I'm torn on this because I like she doesn't want people mistaking her for one of those saps who gives, you know, who cares about, you know, uh, sexism. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Now, like. I realize that part of that means like, oh, she would only be worried about that if she actually worried what people care- what people thought of her, right? Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. like caring about the esteem of your peers is also a very evil Slytherin thing to con- be concerned with, right? Sure, yeah. Being mistaken for a sap who cares about people is not. And so I think I think that's what they're um I, I think that's the the Okay okay. Yeah. I see. So all right. So you you basically let it liter- read it literally that this is what she actually thinks, whereas I read it in one of those, you know, self-denial kinds of ways where yeah. where when you read that thing, it's like it's obvious the person actually cares, but they're trying to deny it to themselves. Yeah, I, you're I saying read it's it, not at all obvious that she actually cares. Right. In fact, I think it's I think it's uh, I, I think we're supposed to think that she doesn't. Um, and I hate the word supposed to think, but I, th- I think that, in fact, the like even like last reading, she was saying have have, you know, people just tried not caring what people think that seems like the obvious strategy here, right? Yeah, but she's had several times in the earlier chapters. Uh, in our first reading, there were quite a few moments where she was bitter and resentful that she had been pushed into this situation, but she's making the best of it that she can, which is why I am on her side here. And I think that she's, I mean, maybe she actually has drank the Kool-Aid all the way and she will be our villain at the end that that Keltham has to fight. But I think it's entirely possible that she... Um, she does care. And I think that we saw that she did. And this is her trying to wrestle down that caring because otherwise it wouldn't even occur to her. Right. Uh, no, it would, uh, people might, you know, accuse people of being weak by caring about, for caring about other people. Right. 
Yeah, but if she was a character who actually didn't care about other people, she just wouldn't care about them. She wouldn't be thinking to herself things like, uh, I know why. Oh, but I, I don't want to say anything. I don't want to sound like someone who cares about other people. Well, unless she was worried about the esteem of her peers. Yeah, but I think that someone who actually didn't care about other people wouldn't have had that thought and then silenced themselves. Hmm. You know, I'm genuinely unsure. I think that, so, you know, I, like, I like her because she's nice and I, I, I want to, I want to like her, but I think she's evil and she's going to be like capital E evil. Um, and maybe I'm overcorrecting from my like, well, I want to like her, so I'm looking for reasons not to. Um, mm-hmm. But I'm also pretty sure she's going to be a baddie, but we'll see. I'm actually eager to find out. I know we won't next week because this is a long book and that'd be too early to, you know, give it away, but I'm excited. So uh, what are we doing for the the next reading for the people who, for some reason, aren't using uh, the reader on Keiko's uh, GitHub page? Which you absolutely should use and which is linked in our show notes. Yes. For next week, we are reading up to, insert what we're reading up to here. I don't actually have it. I will have to edit it in. Normally, they get it to me on Wednesday, sometimes oh, Thursday that's morning. Right. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay, well, then we'll shove it in there. We will be reading through the tag that ends, sure, kill them all. For those who are following along with Keiko's document, it is going to be the episode eight section. Huzzah. Join us for that next week. Support us on Patreon. Is there anything I'm forgetting? No, appreciate it. This was fun. Great times. Peace. See ya.